everybody. I want to thank you all for joining us again for another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I am your host, Coach Chelsea, and I'm super excited to join you all again for just another moment to get better. I was talking to today's Servant Leader right before we got on. I'm going to tell you guys, I am truly, truly walking in a dream, right? Because as a young baller, as a young woman of Christ, as a aspiring coach, I watched today's Servant Leader for a while. And I told her that I feel like you should give people their flowers and let them know. And God created opportunity for me to do that. But today we have servant leader Sherry Cole with us. You all, she is a Hall of Fame coach. I watched her for her amazing tenure at Oklahoma. And she's also a writer. She's a motivational speaker. But most of all, she is a child of God, a servant leader. And we're going to talk about a lot of that today. So I thank you so much for your time. I tell people all the time, time is that one thing that once you give it, I cannot return that to you. I'm going to pass the torch to you to say hello hello to our listeners, and we'll get this conversation started today. Thank you, Chelsea. What an honor it is to be here with you on this broadcast. I applaud what you're doing. What an awesome platform, and and the courage that you've shown to undertake this venture is pretty impressive. So you say you're honored to have me. I'm honored to be on with you, and I just admire what you're doing, and I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And you know, it's so funny. I, as I now coach and mentor young ladies, that is one of the biggest things for me. You know, I feel like, you know, coach Brittany Zell, um, longtime coach now doing amazing things. She's a servant leader. And she said, when she was on here, speak with me, what they see is what they be. Um, she also says that if we want them to be a woman, they have to see a woman. And so those are the things that I saw in you. And I want you to take a minute as we open up this conversation and talk about just your journey through coaching. It, it is one that, you know, makes me smile because I know your story. It's an orthodox for a person that probably is trying to get into the coaching game now. But I want you to talk a little bit about how the high school teacher and high school coach became this amazing Hall of Fame coach at Oklahoma. Well, it is a bit unorthodox, especially <laughs> in today's time. I, I don't know that it could happen now, but it was uh, one of those uh, right place, right time, doing the right things. And I always say that that part is important, but right place and right time for sure. I was uh, a very young high school coach at Norman High School, which was the second largest uh, school in the state of Oklahoma at that time. And uh, I had an opportunity to, to take a, a program and turn it around. And we won a couple state championships and had packed gyms for our games, a lot of fun, um, just emanating around uh, what our girls team did. We had a lot of talent, a lot of guys who went on to play division one basketball. And so I sort of resurrected that program right here in the town where the University of Oklahoma is, obviously. And so when there uh, came an opening, they had seen it up close and personal. Um, had the opening been somewhere else, it wouldn't have been nearly as easy. So it's timing and spacing and um, it was right before the explosion of women's basketball. I mean, right on the cusp of uh, women's basketball being uh, high profile, having this huge TV platform. Salaries were still reasonable at the time. It wasn't the kind of money that you see now. And so I got in right on the skirts of that. Connecticut had just won their first national championship. They were right there in the backyard of ESPN. So women's basketball was starting to explode. And I got right in before the door <laughs> shut completely and um, had an opportunity to turn around the program at the University of Oklahoma. And for years, I was kind of the poster child of, you know, how do you do that? How do you go from high school to head division one coaching, especially at a school the size of Oklahoma, BCS conference? And um uh, the ans the simple answer to that is basketball is basketball, but the learning curve beyond the lines of the floor was really steep. And I was very fortunate to be surrounded by some fantastic people, uh, mentors and leaders who helped make that transition. And then, uh, you know, it's about surrounding yourself with the right people in terms of staff and team, the people who believe in your vision. And that's how we got it going. And um, 
it was a fantastic ride. <laughs> a fantastic ride for sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure you you sit back and look at it now, but you speak to a lot of individuals who much like I told you when I got on here and a lot of people in waiting where we wait to do things because we feel we're not qualified for them. And one of the things I love to hear all the time, you know, that is a great quote that I hear and it says, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call, right? And he just asks us to be obedient. You know, as I mentioned before I came on here with this podcast, I was like, you sure you talking to me? Like, are you sure you mentioned the right person? And just what happens, the beauty and what happens when we just say yes to his will, right? And, and, I, and, I, and that is why I find your story so amazing because it's that here I am, send me. I'm going to go, I'm going to do, and then look what happens when we just allow him to take the wheel. So amazing. You know, I had a sign in my office that said, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. So Come on now. what you just said, I had that sign in my office. And I believe that's true for uh, coaches, players, professionals, whatever it is. And, you know, as I entertained all those questions from coaches who wanted to kind of make that jump and do what I did from high school to college, I'm always quick to tell them that the best advice I could give them is to do whatever you're doing to the best of your ability. Um, opportunities just find their way toward people who are, who are involved in excellent work and who are immersed in the people and the opportunities around them. And I think sometimes coaches start looking at what's next and where's that next rung of the ladder and sort of positioning themselves when the very best thing you can do is be all in wherever you are and mm. uh, prepared for those opportunities when they open up, you know, I never really thought about being a college coach and people always look at me like, what? Cause I was a big goal setter. Like in high school, I'm going to go to state. I'm going to be an all stater. I'm going to get a full ride to college. You know, I had da 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 da. I'm going to be a valedictorian. I had all these things written down that I wanted to be. But when I became a coach, um, I just wanted to coach. I, I never said I want to be a division one coach. I want to be a college coach by the time I'm such and such age. The only thing I said was I don't want to be a nomad. I want to mm -hmm. raise my children. I want to have a home. I want them to plant roots. And, and I don't want to travel all over the country and move 7,000 times. I just want to coach. And uh, while I was coaching at Norman High, I had these opportunities to observe major college coaches come in and recruit my players. So I listened to home visits. I got all the recruiting mail. I took the phone calls. And I was not planning to become a college coach, but I was paying attention. And when the opportunity presented itself at Oklahoma, I had all this background of knowledge that I never knew I was going to need to use. I had a file full of really great recruiting letters and a file full of really lousy ones. And I'd set through really fantastic home visits and I'd set through, through some pretty lousy ones. And so I kind of knew what to do and what not to do because I was paying attention where I was at the time. And I just think that if we do that, if we immerse ourselves um, we get what we need for whatever's coming next. Mm -hmm. Now that's huge there. Come on now. That's huge. And I think as, you know, servant leaders and those in professional uh, sports in general of all realms, that was huge. That very end there, we have to make sure we're prepared. A lot of times we pray. I tell people this, we pray for things and we ask God for things, but the blessing is in the waiting. I tell my friends that all the time, you know, this is the end of, you know, sports seasons. And, and we say they're hiring and firing seasons. We see the post that say, congratulations, welcome home, such and such. But we also know that in order for a new coach to have come in, there's been a coach that has been relieved of their duties. But I tell people all the time, the blessing is in the waiting because that's that process in that moment right there. We're being equipped. What God needs us to have to be prepared so often we ask for things and we wonder why God is not blessing us with them. But the question we should ask ourselves is, are we, are we becoming ready? Are we sharpening our iron so that when he gives us our blessing, we're ready to receive it and take care of his blessing? I want you to do me a favor. There was things that I do. I, read, I signed up for your newsletter, but I read your tweets. I followed for a minute. And there is something you talked about, and I loved it. It was so profound. It was one of the ones you talked about um, digging in dirt. And I love that. Why? Because I remember a while ago, there was a devotion I read just on the Bible plan and it talked about um, we need dirt to grow. Mary Mary has a song that says we all need a little dirt to grow. But so often in this walk, the trials and the obstacles are the things we try to run from. Right. 
I want to ask you this question as a servant leader, as a coach for such a long time in all of your endeavors. Can you speak to the person that's listening that just finds the trials and the obstacles as something that's hard to get over? What would you say to encourage them about overcoming obstacles, recognizing that God places them there to make us better? Oh, Chelsea, without question, I have learned the most, grown the most, and felt God the most in the most difficult times of my life. There's no question. No question. Um, what you find out about yourself when you are faced with something that feels overwhelming or all engulfing or impossible um, are things that you can't find any other way. I don't know that I would understand what mercy is. I don't know that I would understand what grace is if I hadn't suffered, if I hadn't had those times where I really questioned uh, who I am, what my purpose is, where is God? Um, those are the times where you have to grapple and wrestle with that stuff. That's where you find yourself and you find him. I, I honestly uh, believe that, you know, your theme, I think you said for April is the whole armor of God. Yes, when I think about the armor of God, what I think about is not, you know, defenses, defensiveness and, you know, the shields for battle, although I know that's part of it. For me, the whole armor of God is like, being ready. Like when, when I teach basketball camp and we teach defense, the first thing we teach is a closeout on a live ball, right? You throw your hands up, you throw your tail down. And we made our campers always say, as I made my team always say, ready, ready, ready. We would close out on a live ball and we would verbalize ready, ready, ready. And to me, that's what the whole armor of God is. It's saying, yes. I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever, the good, the bad, the scary, the wonderful, uh, everything. I'm re even the temptations. I'm ready for it because I'm grounded in God. My feet are planted. I'm steady. It's like you're in a ready stance. You can take whatever's coming. And that's what, that's what your theme makes me think of. And that's what allows you to sort of wrestle your way through those difficult times and those uphill battles that you have. And we all have them. And when you get past them and you look back, you're like, how did I do that? <laughs> yes. But man, I'm glad I did. For sure. I'm going to steal that one, right? I'm ready, <laughs> ready, 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 ready. Because listen, can you imagine sometimes, I tell people about the time we have to speak to our mountains, like the word tells us. We have to speak to our mountains. And so often, you know, we fall short of that, right? When the trials come, it's like, yep, forget everything I knew. Forget every scripture that I knew. It, it goes out of the window. But can you imagine, yes, as the defender, I'm closing out, ready, ready, ready. And for my non-basketball people, literally, if there is a shooter, I'm going to help you out. You watch Steph Curry, and regardless of what they do, unfortunately, that doesn't work. But you got to close out. My girls, I tell them and teach them close out, and they're motivated because they don't want to get crossed over. I'm like, so ready, ready, ready. But can you imagine if we take that approach into life, right? When those very things, those Goliaths come to our Davids, and those moments come that we feel we can't surpass, and instead, we begin to speak to our mountain saying, I'm ready, 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 as opposed to, to falling short or fearing the challenge. One of the biggest things you said that I think is so amazing, you said, I wouldn't know his grace and mercy if I had not gone through those things. No. It's huge. It, when in the biggest struggles of my life, I have felt the understanding, use the word normalize uh, when, we, when we were talking earlier. Um, it, 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 when you go through struggles, you know, you go to that good book and you start mm -hmm. to read it. And what you find is a Jesus who became mortal and felt the things that we're feeling, you know, mm -hmm. like there's this kinship and you start to go, oh, I get it. I yeah. get it. You know, that encounter with Judas over there, I get that. I understand mm -hmm. How hard that must have been and when he goes to the garden to pray to be by himself because he on. needs that time you're like oh I get that I get that and it becomes like you get this relationship with Jesus that mm -hmm. I think when I grew up before you know when I was growing up I grew up in the church had a wonderful family and the opportunity to go to church every Sunday morning every Sunday night every Wednesday night growing up but you know you're young and I had a great life I didn't have any big things to come over you know I didn't have I, I just had a really easy life growing up and you kind of look at Jesus as 
he's on this throne up here and you, you worship him and you adore him and you're it's kind of intimidated by him and you want to please him, but he's way up there and you're way down here. And then you go through life and you go through some hard stuff and you kind of lock arms with them, you know, like you're, you're locked together and you're walking. Yeah. And that's what, I don't know if you can figure that out if you don't go through hard stuff and everybody goes through mm-hmm. hard stuff. So everybody can figure it out. For sure. You know, I laugh because I tell people a lot of times I utilize, sport. I mean, sports just, it truly does. It just teaches you a lot on so many avenues of your life. And I tell people all the time, you know, if my young ladies, and you know this to be true, there's just always going to be games on your schedule that just for whatever reason, there's ebbs and flows to the sport, but they're just, they might not be as competitive as the others. And so those games, those are the ones you, my girls are to practice way early, right? Their energy level is way up. And I'm like, hold on. So why were we not like this against our rivals where the game is a little bit more challenging? Right. And so I laugh so often, though, because it's those challenging moments. Right. It's those sometimes we're in the game. Maybe I got a little blood on my jersey where they begin. It's the wins in those losses where they begin to recognize what they truly can do and what they're truly made of. And see, in those storms, when we go through things, it's like you said, I wouldn't know his grace and mercy if he didn't take me through things. I wouldn't know he's a healer. Many people know my testimony, but he healed me from a brain aneurysm. I couldn't tell anybody he's a healer if I hadn't been sick. I wouldn't know the stripes still work if he hadn't laid them and used them on me. And so I think that's so amazing what you said. The other thing you said, you said you grew the most in those moments. But more than anything, you know, and somebody said this when they were listening, they said he's so relatable based off what you just said. And he is. And I think that that is why, why he did that, right? Because it allows us for that person that, we make it so hard to come to Christ. I tell people that, right? Sometimes I, I know people say, well, I don't want to pray. My girl said, I don't want to pray coach because I, I don't know how to pray. And I said, well, sweetheart, what do you think prayer is? I don't know. I just know when I go to church and they, you know, they pray and they do these long prayers and, prayers and they say all these things. And I, and I said, see, here's the thing. We can't mix religion with the relationship. We can't do that. And I love how you said that, that he now walks with me. I feel like I'm locking arm in arm because that's the person that wants us to come. That's the person that wants us to come lay on his bosom and take up with him. And so I love that. You know, as we talk about servant leadership, I followed you for a bit. There's a lot of things that not only in coaching that you've done, um, but while you were coaching, serving was something that you just did. And it wasn't something that you were boastful about it was just a part of your actions I read and saw a lot of the times that you know you love to go to the children's hospital and you wrote some powerful words with that right I mean you just really did because I feel so often that when we think serving is beautiful because we think that we're helping the other people but in turn we're the ones that end up yeah all the time we end up doing that one of the things you said you said I learned to pray harder at this, you know, doing this endeavor. I learned to, you know, be able to count my blessings. I learned the importance of so many things through that. I want you to talk a little bit about servant leadership, what it means to you and why that's important no matter how high we go in life. Well, one of the great um, gifts of being a major college basketball coach is platform that you've been given. And so um, not only for the way we are responsible for serving our team, but um, the example that we provide for the community and the state, and even in some cases, the nation, um, we had an opportunity every day to serve in one way, shape, or form. We did things, special things like go to children's hospital. We did, um, we partnered with local schools. We were in local schools once a week. We partnered with a community organization in Norman once a month, did an activity with them. So there were lots of formal um, service uh, responsibilities that we assumed, and they always makes better. Oh, no question, no question. Sometimes when we were playing bad, I would say, you know what we need to do? We need to go to Children's Hospital because we got our brains all on the wrong stuff right now. We yes, need to go back to the stuff that really matters, and it never failed. We would we would play better once we were more centered, you know, and not worried about the wrong things. But servant leadership is really, it's it's an everyday thing. It, it's uh, it's everything from um, 
I'm going to help get the bags off the bus mm-hmm. because I'm just like the rest of you. And I'm little and I can crawl under that bin. And some of you guys are six foot four and you can't. So let me do that. That's fine. Um, it's, it's things like um, be letting people go in front of you uh, in the line to eat when you're at the hotel. It's all kinds of, of um, little bitty things that decisions that you can make every single day that provide an example of others first. And I really think that's at the essence of it. Servant leadership is about, no, you go first. I'm putting mm-hmm. you first. It may be in what I think about. It may be in the, the type of conversation we have today. It may be in an action, but it's you first. What do you need? What can I do for you? How can I help you? And typically when that's the case with a team or any sort of entity, it can even be a family. Uh, when that's the main attitude, I, I'm more worried about you than I am about me. Uh, the the good stuff that grows uh, is amazing. It just it just multiplies. And so, you know, you try to teach your team leaders how to do that. And hopefully that servant leadership then trickles down into all members of the team. Uh, and I think for successful organizations, it's almost always a pillar of, of their activity. I love that. Servant leadership is you first, right? And uh, I was speaking to another servant leader last night when we came on. And he said, it's funny, he said, we mix leadership and servant leadership. I want y'all to understand that those are two different things. He said, when I'm dwelling in leadership, leadership says I'm the man. Leadership says me first. Leadership says I'm going to do this and I want to shine. Servant leadership says, how can I make you look better? What is it that you need? Servant leadership means that I can catapult you up knowing that my time is coming. He said, and, and this is the part that took me out. He said, and then when I'm comfortable, when I'm comfortable serving, that is when God gives me my award to become seat number one. And I love that the way that you put that. You said, you know, just like what you just said, it's it's the things we overlook. So often people think that you have to do this grand gesture to serve. Sometimes we serve out and we can't even serve the person that's next door to us. You know, so those little things definitely do matter. I think that's amazing. You know, as I sit here looking and listening I've followed you for a while, you know, and a lot of times I tell people, you know, we have to make sure we're leading with love. And that's what I see in you. That's what I see a lot of times when I was a bystander watching you as a coach, watching you lead those young women, watching you serve. I want to throw this one at you for a second. It's coming off the cusp. I just want to see what hits you first. The word says now abide in faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Why would you say, or why would you feel the greatest of these is love, not only in coaching, but in every step that you take in life? Well, I think that's where everything grows from. That's Mm -hmm. undergirding of every other belief and action. If love has a hold of your heart, to me, that means it's, it's supple, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it can, it can move this way and that way and contort and adjust and that's what life is. We're all fluid, you know, people are mm-hmm. fluid and life is fluid. And so you've got to be able to, if you're just too stuck, you know, if that, if that heart is hard and there's not love pulsing through it, you're not able to bend as you need to uh, for the, the people that need you and for the situations that need you. And so to me, that love just means suppleness and it allows your heart to hope and to have faith and to have empathy and to have vision with that, it's like there's a dexterity, you know, there's just mm-hmm. an ability to move and pivot and, and change as you need to. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's like, it's like healthy. If, if your heart is, is hard, your, your health, your physical health is not good. And yeah. so if your, if your spiritual heart is not softened with love, then your spiritual health is not good. I love it. And you know, what's so amazing with that? You know, I feel that so often, and I know this sounds, I tell people this time, it sounds so simple, yet it's the hardest thing for us to do. You know, two years ago, we're celebrating two years of this podcast. Two years ago, I can remember us sitting there and there's a coach by the name of um, Paul Breitbeck and he is in Iowa. And what he says is, he says, guys, we have to be where our feet are. And his voice is always so calm. He said, I need you to understand this. We just got to love our neighbor. And it's so funny because everybody would have these 10 to 15 minute segments when they talk, right? And those are the two things he would always, this is all I have, guys. Love your neighbor. 
right? And we'd laugh, but it wasn't because it was short. It was because although it was short, it was probably the most powerful statement every single night. And I say that because here's the thing. There's so many things and directives that the good book, as you said, tells us to do, right? But he says these things, it's simplified. He says, what I'm asking you to do is this, to love me with all your heart, right? All your mind, all your soul. And then I'm asking you to love your neighbor as I've loved you and as you love yourself. And I feel like even though that sounds very plain, we make that so hard every single day. But I think you said it best. I have to make sure it's supple. I have to make sure that I don't harden my heart. I have to make sure that over and over that is I am moving in love. And when I can do that, isn't that what Christ called us to do in the first place? And when people can see that in me, Christine Kane says it best. She says, sometimes we're the only love letter that people will read. So if they read yours, what would it say? And I think that's so perfect. I think there's this connection between, I I don't think it's possible to maintain a supple heart without Jesus. Jesus is the blood that flows through it, that keeps it soft. And so I think if if you're able to love your neighbor as Jesus has loved you, the only way you can do that is if he's in there. Because it's Come on. It's, it's impossible if he's not in there yes and, and so in in essence what he's saying is it, as you do these things you, the requirement for doing them is i have to live in you and, mm-hmm. and that's that's what makes all that possible i love how you said that right that he has to be in there right because what did i say if it doesn't come out in the wash it's gonna come out in the rinse first of all be in general if he's gonna come out in anything right so he definitely has to live you know, like he said, like the song says, he walks with me, talks to me, he tells me that I'm his own. He has to be in there. What is in you will come out of you. Yeah. And I think that's so perfect, you know, and I'm glad that you said that he has to be in there because one of the things that my grandmother and my mom used to always tell me growing up, they would say, baby girl, that's what they call me. It was like, I don't even have a name. Baby girl, you have to make sure that you keep a scripture in your heart. You have to keep his word in there because when trials and tribulations come, that is not the time that you can go, you know, I'm down here in Florida, okay? And you know, hurricane season comes and, you know, for whatever reason, rather we get hit or not, we have historical ones that have wiped us out. We still wait to the last minute to go get water and batteries. That's just what we do to prepare and be ready. And so when I think about my spiritual life, it means so much to me to study the word, study the good book, as you say. So that when those storms come, they don't say, hey, Sherry, check your calendar. And is Saturday good? Because I'm going to come through with a trial and you let me know if that's okay. It's going to blindside us most days. When those storms in your life come, when those hard moments come or things just kind of come out of balance, what's that one word or that scripture that kind of brings you back to balance that you can pull from that lets you know, as you said, that he's in there? Oh, there's a lot, but um, <laughs> I have above my bed on um, on a, a sign. It's actually my daughter had it made for me in my mother's handwriting, and it says, "Perhaps you were created for such a time as this." Esther four one, and um, I love that story of Esther because there's this there's this thread that runs through it where she's like, "Like I can't do this, like me, like." like what? And I think that's how we feel sometimes when the tsunami hits. We're like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't get through this. You expect Mm -hmm. me? And it takes me back to um, how Esther had all the things that she needed to be able to solve the dilemma at that time. And she just was a little bit unsure. And that that makes me know that I'm human. That makes me know that um, God is is promising things that I can't even understand at the time. It builds my trust. It builds my faith. It builds my confidence. And uh, I call them Esther moments. I think I think all the you know it's like somebody spitballing at you from the back of class. You know that spitballs <laughs> are coming, and um, those every one of those is an Esther moment. What are you going to do with it? I love that. 
And it's so confirming because this time two years ago, um, Kristen Ledlow came on and it was literally right after we had gotten started and that is what she spoke about. And that is what she said. She says, perhaps Chelsea, you were created for such a time as this. Mind you, I was still like, you sure? Every time I would log on, I'm like, you sure? Like one of these days he's gonna come and say, no, I didn't mean you, I meant the other Just Chelsea. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing because like when you said that, it just kind of hit me. It's so amazing how he reaffirms and he confirms what you know we know to be true but he's like let me go ahead and ease your mind two years later and this is exactly what I meant for you and I think that's so amazing because so often we need that encouragement so often like you say we kind of get thrown off our rocker and when you look up I'm sure it's like you know even in these hard moments I can make sure that I'll press towards the mark of the prize for the higher calling because I was created for such a time as this yep powerful I think those um those moments to almost always have something inside of them, like those Easter eggs, you know, where you find the one that's, oh, there's $5 in here. (laughs) (laughs) That if we're willing to look at, at the adversity in the right way, there's always $5 in there somewhere. There you go. Always something wonderful we can do with it. And maybe it's just going forth and telling the story of how you survived, of how you Mm. met Jesus at the, at your most, your most normal and his most normal moment and how you two connected. Maybe that's the story that comes out of it. There are just so many possibilities if we're willing to break that egg open and see what might be there. I think that's so amazing, especially now as, you know, we have Easter and Resurrection Sunday coming. I'm about to have to start filling those eggs. But I think, I think you said it best and I laugh because it's the truth. You know, I I've gotten to a point and what I promised myself this year was that I was going to start to see God in everything, you know, and that's always the goal. Right. But I always, you know, sometimes we get frustrated. We're human. Sometimes we get upset and I now take a step back and I say, what are you trying to get me to see in this? What is it that you want me to gain, earn, or learn from this? You know, even in those hard moments, you know, one of the most pivotal conversations that I had, there was a minister and he would say, you know, Chelsea, we're having a conversation, right? And I would say, yes. And he said, okay. And he said, so what would happen if I just started talking to you? And once I finished saying all I needed to say, I got up and walked away. So of course I was looking crazy. Like that would be weird. He said, right. He said, and I think so often we think that's crazy, but we pray. I knew that's where you were going with that. Girl, I feel that. (laughs) Thank you for hitting me right here. Yeah, look, because he hit me the same place. So I just had to transfer it. And he he did. He said, we pray and we say amen. And we get up, we go. He said, so why would you look crazy at what I just did? But prayer is the way that communication, that phone line to you. Father, And so when you say amen and you get up, how can you ever know what he wants you to see? How can you ever know what he wants you to understand? And how can you ever know the answers for the prayers that you pray when you say, get up and say amen and ignore his call? That is beautiful. Beautiful. It makes me think of, there's this country song. I love country music. And there's this country song by Larry Fleet and it's called, that's where I find God. And in the chorus, it says, uh, in a in a deer stand or a hayfield, um, just all these normal places where you are every day, that's where I find God. And and it always makes me think he is everywhere. I'm just not yeah. looking long enough Come or on. seeing well enough to find him everywhere, but he's everywhere. And um, boy, that open line of prayer, um, that's good. That's going to stick with me. So see, every time I do one of these, I'm like, there, I get, I get, and you just gave me, thank you for that. Listen, absolutely. I just had to transfer it. Cause look, I'm still wild and, and I'm intentional now. I am, since he said it, I'm intentional to have that time where I'm not talking. You know, I had, um, my cousin, Joe Martin, he was on here. He's an international world renowned speaker. And he said, you know, sometimes guys, and I hate to say it like this, but we just gotta shut up. 
so we can hear him. He said, it's just that plain. Sometimes you all are doing this, you're doing that, you're on social media, you try to have your time. He said, and, and it's fine. It's fine to listen to podcasts. It's fine to listen to music. That all is fine. But in quiet time, you mean to tell me when you have all these things ablaze that you can hear everything? He said, you can't. He said, but just if you just shut up sometimes and move out of the way, just imagine, like you said, where you'll find him. And what he sounds like and how he feels. Um, It's in in everything. Everything that we touch if we give it a chance. Mm. That is so golden and so beautiful. You know, and why that's so profound is because I'll go back to this. There's so many individuals that want to know him. But we've made him seem so Mm far-fetched. We do make it hard and complicated, don't we? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we got all these rules, we got all these yeah. lines we draw, these really hard lines. You're either here or you're there. You got to do this, you got to do that. And uh, it goes back to that. He told us to love. Come on. And when we do that, it's amazing how those lines disappear. Mm. Erases them all. Powerful. That's powerful. And I, and I feel that you know, if we're true servant leaders, that's what we should aspire to. You know, I tell people all the time, I try, there's a point of origin. That's what I, that's where I want to go with this. There's a point of origin, right? And so we've all seen it, you know, we'll go to the grocery store, our day-to-day, we'll go to the post office, just our day-to-day mundane things at work. And someone snaps on us or looks the wrong way or does something that we don't like. And immediately it's like, oh my God, I cannot believe when we're bent out of shape. But I've gotten to a place where I say, you know, that had nothing to do with me, right? You know, I know, but I didn't see her at her 9 a.m. start of the shift. I got her at 4.55, (laughs) okay, before that shift ended. And so I could be upset in that moment or I could recognize the point of origin. You know, there's so often people who have been through things and they lash out on you or they show you something that may not be as much as Christ-like, but we all have those moments. But if we meet people in that place with love, just like you said, it takes away those lines. It takes away those judgment calls. It takes away, if we can see people with God, I'll tell you that, with that God UV vision, that God extra vision, that G, we're going to call it G vision. And what if we saw people with that G vision, that God vision, the same way he sees us? That in spite of my scars, in spite of what I do wrong, he still sees me with love. I had to write down G-Vision. That's really good. Really good. He gave me that. That's not even mine. He gave me that. But I I, I do because I feel like we can scrutinize so much. Mm -hmm. But he loves me in spite of me. He doesn't treat us as our sins would allow. Yet we feel we have room to judge. We have room to you know, go off on someone for those five minutes that we saw them meet. Yet he sees us all the time. That's right. That's right. I was too old when I figured out that um, you don't judge people by their worst moments. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you think back, if each one of us thinks back, we, we've all had bad moments where we don't, we don't like how we looked, how we sounded, how we acted. We all have those bad moments. What if that's the only time another person saw us, what would their opinion of us be? Mm-hmm. And yet we want to judge others by what we see. And we're like, oh no, that was just a bad day for me. That was a bad moment. You taught me to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. And so I, I try to just, it's like a rent cycle that I run. If I, if I come across somebody and it's one of those bad moments, I always think, oh, that's, that's their worst one ever. I bet they're really good most of the rest of the time. Because we all have that thing that we slide along. So again, that's a little bit of where, that's where God's grace comes in. And you learn that through those tough times. Grace, I think, is such a complicated, almost mysterious, mystical kind of thing that people have a hard time putting their hands around, you know? And Mm -hmm. Anne Lamott, the writer, says that grace is, to her, it's, it's God picking you up, putting you in a wheelbarrow, and taking you where you're supposed to go. It's just like he picks you up and takes you over. I like that. That's what grace does. And if you haven't felt that that grace from God, if you haven't paid enough attention to look at that and go, "Ooh, you just afforded me that," then how can you supply that to somebody else? You can't. So 
living through that and understanding that, you know, God picked you up and, and carried you out of this mess over here and set you right there. You need to do that for other people. There are other mm-hmm. people who deserve that on this planet till they get to him. And so that's what we are to do for them. I like that. I have never, who said that? Anne Lamott. She's a yes. fantastic writer. Um, the most irreverent, reverent Christian I've ever come across in my life. She's uh, hysterical, gifted, amazing, uh, has a lot of books. Traveling Mercy is my favorite of hers. And I'm not sure uh, where the grace quote came from. I think it's one of her later ones, but she's worth a read, Chelsea. She's definitely worth a read. Listen, I just put it down. That's going to be my next step. But I just, I love that, right? Because we have short-term memory, like loss. We, we do, like in the worst times. Sure. I'm thankful that God has short-term memory loss with me, but okay. we in the opposite way, right? We'll very well forget that he just forgot. He threw my sins in the sea of forgetfulness and he said, all right, let's try this thing again, right? But then we go and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, did you not remember when he, did you remember when she used to, you know? And I'll say this for everybody listening, let people recover. <laughs> let people recover. Let people bounce back, right? I mean, it, it, plain and simple. There's no spicier, nicer way to say that. Let people bounce back. If God can give you grace, we need to learn to give everybody else grace. I think that was golden. That wouldn't, was- wouldn't our world just start to heal so much faster right now if we could oh, all yeah. speak to one another that way? Just, just I'm going to give you time to heal. I'm going to give you space to heal. I'm going to watch you bounce back. Come on. That's being reciprocated. How quickly could we reverse some of the horrific stuff that's going on in our world? I love that. Because, you know, in the sports world, they say everybody loves a good comeback story, right? Let's transfer that, guys, to our everyday life. I love the underdog. I'm fighting with you, you know, but I love that. Give people the grace and let me watch you bounce back. I love y'all. I'm looking. Me and Coach Cole, we looking, we waiting for your bounce back. I love it. <laughs> Not the Terry there, as my grandma was saying, as we start to kind of wind this thing up. You know, I think one of the biggest things I want to go here, discernment, right? It's one of the things I pray for constantly, um, just to be able to see, right? I know I'll never have the G vision as we just talked about, but I want to be able to see those things that he's trying to show me, the things that I'm blind to that may get me caught up or out of my way or, or in the way. Within your coaching career and with all your endeavors, how did you make sure? Because here's the thing. We have to make sure we understand that everybody isn't a believer, okay? So how did you make sure that you utilize discernment, right, within your walk as a head coach in a field, right, where things sometimes those decisions you needed to make, how we're recruiting, who we take, who we let go, how do I approach this situation, how did you utilize discernment, right, and your walk with him in making decisions as the head coach at Oklahoma? Well, Chelsea, that's a great question and a um, complicated one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are decisions that you make about your lane. You know, this is this is where, this is, you know, the shoulder of the highway and you get over here and you go down there and that's not good. So you got this, this major road that you're on and you decide what that thing looks like. Mm -hmm. And then the discernment happens in that little space of the shoulder right there before you could go down there, you you know, get back next to the yellow line where you're supposed to be. And so (laughs) the, the lane itself for me was big decisions. Like um, we're not going to practice on Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have that time to go to church. And if you want to go to church, you can go to church. And if you don't, that's all right too. We're going to practice at one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon so that you have time to do that. That was one of those big ones. You know, Um, if we have a game on Sunday and and have to be at the gym, we're going to have chapel and you don't have to go, but you're welcome to. And our players always did. I mean, we just had 100% attendance all the time. And I think it's, because our staff was involved in it and supported it and enjoyed it. And um, it was just the culture, you know, it was the environment, Um, those kinds of things, Uh, a prayer 
um, before every game and after every game and before practice and uh, that those kinds of things are the lane, right? Then your discernment happens in, you know, you got a kid who's, who's maybe borderline in their behavior and they're living a life that's not an ambassador life for your program that you want. And you got to think about, are they better here than if they were somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, how, where'd they come from? What's their opportunity been? Have they been taught? Have they had an opportunity? Have they had a, exposure? Those are the kinds of things. And you know, at what point does it become more harm than good? Um, those are the things that are, I think, really, really difficult. And uh, again, how do you make those decisions? You go back to love. You try to love them as fully as you can. And mm-hmm. I don't think I always made the right decisions. Um, definitely made plenty of wrong ones, I'm sure. Uh, but not for lack of prayer and uh, and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> wise counsel along the way. Looking back, Chelsea, I wish I had been bolder. You know, we are um, taught, or, and, and at every public institution, you're taught to walk that fine line. You know, and and um, you you have to separate church and state, right? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and I, I I wish I'd been a little bolder. Um, I do. Um, tried to live it, uh, tried to make it a part of our air, obviously, you know, we used to say, I used to tell my staff, we don't need a big sign that says Jesus lives here, but as soon as they meet us, they need to know that he does. Come and on. so it's just, it's, it's an innate thing, you know, like you want it to feel, so when you go to a restaurant and your, your meal comes out lousy, how are you going to interact with the person who's delivering it to you? That's, Jesus is there or not, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was subtle, but I wish that I had been a bit bolder. Um, come what may, no matter what. I love that, right? And 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 that's actually what you and I were speaking about before we came on, just, I don't have to put on a t-shirt. I don't have to have no side, but people will know. Uh, Coach Chris Kreider, he, let me get this right now, because my man, my man went, he's now at SMU. He was at Georgia State with men's basketball. Now he's with assistant men's basketball coach for SMU. And he, very meek voice, and he always says, you know, here's the thing. God didn't call us to Bible beat. He didn't call us to, you know, sit and pull and make and force. What he said was, I just need to walk in it. If I can walk the walk, right? And he said, what you're going to start to hear is people say something different about that guy. Yep. It's just something different about her. It feels different here. Yep. Get them there. Once you hook them, then that's the time. You know, people always tell me, Chelsea, it just doesn't seem like you ever go through anything. I'm like, no, that's not true. Boy, if you knew, right? But see, here's the thing. It's not that I don't go through. It's not that I don't have problems. But see, I met my problem solver. And see, that makes you walk a little different in those troubled waters when you know who calms those waters, right? But before we got on, we talked about the word normalizing, right? Athletic professionals and leaders in the sports world and servant leaders all the way through and through, right? And so I love to hear you say that you wish you were a bit bolder because here's the thing. The reality is every place you go is not going to be welcoming to your boldness. I mean, that's just the truth, right? Right. But the thing about it is when we work to normalize it, normalizing that walk, right? Normalizing, like you said, I, we've all walked in places where it's like, mm, the energy the is not good here. It's just not. But just imagine the place. Imagine those athletes. Imagine those students. Imagine those employees. I'm trying to cover everybody listening. Imagine those children of yours, okay? Imagine your family members, that when they walk and come in your presence, the word says, I can't think of the scripture right now, but it talks about we are the aroma of Christ. Mm-hmm. Give me some fragrances, okay? I do. And so, of course, naturally, it's been in COVID and things like that. And I teach high school and the young boys are frisky, so I don't. But I was like, well, you smell good, right? <laughs> What's that you have on, right? Exactly. As much as they smell my fragrance that I've sprayed on, I want people that when I leave a room, that lasting impression of what I exuded of God's goodness is there. I want, when I walk into the room, somebody to say, wait a minute, it's something different about her. I can't put my finger on it, but it's something. And in those moments right there, that's honestly, 
coach, how we can be even bolder. No, there's no question, Chelsea. I, I, you've, we've all been on a, an airplane or uh, traveling somewhere and strike up a conversation with someone and you're just like, you just know this uh-huh. person leaves. This person yeah. believes there's a, there's a joy, there's an energy, there's an outlook or a perspective that is just unique. And it's that kind of, um, I'll have what she's having kind of thing. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, I want some of that. Can you tell me where I can get it? And if if we live that way, that's discipleship. I mean, it doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to teach. It doesn't. But that's how we get the door open is Mm -hmm. that's true discipleship is to live in such a way so that people say, I'll have what she's having. I like that, coach. I like that. (laughs) Because listen, I'm that person. I'm a foodie through and through, right? I don't try to interrupt anyone's dinner, but sometimes I walk past. I'm like, what is that? Uh-huh. That on the menu. Okay. <laughs> I need people, y'all, I need people to be trying to look at the spiritual menu when they see you. Okay. Your plate should look just that good. I love that coach. <laughs> I can talk to you every day. Oh, well, you should. <laughs> you information. So you just should. I love it. No, I agree. I truly do agree. And again, it comes down to that place where you know, I didn't have to know you. I didn't. I mean, I know what I saw. You were on my television. We didn't talk on the phone. You didn't know I existed, but I saw you. I understood the walk, right? I watched how you spoke when you either spoke and I watched it on YouTube or you spoke in a press conference. I even saw you, your hall of fame speech. I saw you when you left the game to move in, allow somebody else to take over and walk in that path. I saw it, right? And so I didn't need to know. You didn't have to say. You didn't have to wear a t-shirt. You didn't have to, y'all, she would be swagged out. I'm telling you right now, okay? Um, But I knew. And so trust me, that goes both ways. I totally get what you're saying because you are a total example of that. I knew. You never once had to say it, but I knew. That means so much to me. Thank you for saying that. Yes, ma'am. So, of course, naturally, for those that listen to the podcast, you know that it is time to enshrine this already Hall of Fame coach into the Servant Leadership Hall of Fame, okay? So there's two questions that I give. They're very easy, but they're awesome, right? So the first one, we talked already about how the storms of life come, okay? And so one of the things I love to do is I just give myself gentle reminders of who God is, right? And we know that he is literally so many things. It's countless and it's endless. And so I do what I call my God is devotion, okay? And so I wake up. Sometimes I'll write it if I have time. You don't know this now, but you'll learn this the more we talk, okay? Because you're going to be talking to me now. But I have a six-month-old. So that kind of changed the way my morning devotion goes, okay? (laughs) But I'll just literally go and I'll wake up, I thank him. And as I'm getting ready, I'll say God is, and I keep naming off what he is. And each time that I name and rip something off, it strengthens me, right? And empowers me for my day because I spend the day touching young lives and it gets challenging, but I'm reminded of who he is. I'm also reminded about who he's not because that's the biggest blessing. Sometimes he blocks those things. That's a whole different conversation, the things we think we need. And he's like, nope, you don't need that but you don't get a whole list coach. You get one. So if I said God is, and I drew this imaginary blank, how would servant leader Sherry Cole fill that blank? God is what? You're only going to give me one? One. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Mm. I know. So many things. God is reliable. Come on. Come on now. I know that's a very common word and a very, um, like a a workmanlike word, but um, what is better than, you know, you go to your car and it's, it's always going to start. It's always going to start. You know, it is, you know, and what is worse than going out and getting in one and not being sure if when you turn <laughs> it, or not, you know, or, or yes. turn on a light switch every day. And we just know it's going to come on. Well, would be awful to walk into a dark house and not know if when you flip that switch, 
it's going to come on or not. There's just so much comfort and support and reason for confidence and, and, um, hope in the fact that God is reliable. You can count on him. Come on. As my grandpa would say, you can take that to the bank. <laughs> my granny would say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. See, there you go. There it is. I'm telling you, but I love that. And, and that is, listen, I can talk to you for hours. I'm not going to hold you, but I'm telling you when I lean on that, right, just how reliable he is. My pastor would always say, it's so funny how we trust everything. You know, I have a, um, I trademarked this for whatever God has it for, but it's called trust perfection. Okay. And the, the goal behind it and the story behind it is that I would just always say it because we'll trust a prescription that the doctor writes because he says, take it, right? I go in with this issue and he says, here, take this, right? <laughs> um, we'll go to a restaurant. We don't see the person preparing it. It comes out and like you said, I'll have what she's having. We eat it. We don't give it a second thought, okay? We get in a car, we get on a plane and maybe sometimes don't even see the pilot, but we sit there and fly to friendly skies, not giving it a second thought. All of these things are imperfect. I don't care how much something can be 99.9. There is nothing in this life that is 100%. There is nothing else but the God we serve that is perfect. And so I would always say trust perfection, right? And so when you said he is reliable, that thing shook my core. Because in spite of what I go through, in spite of whatever happens, I know that not 99.9 not any other thing that you could say, 100% of the time, he's going to come through for me. And we have nothing else with those kind of numbers. Ah, nothing, absolutely nothing. I love that one, Coach. And of course, this is a servant leadership coach's Bible study where servant leadership is at the core of what we do. Truly just trying to normalize athletic professionals and leaders of faith, but more than anything, making it mainstream to know what servant leadership looks like. Serving like Christ, leading like Christ. There's so many definitions to it, so many books, but I'm asking you, servant leader Sherry Cole, what does servant leadership mean to you? Putting others first. Putting others first. Um, uh, loving like Jesus. Yes. Uh, that's that's the base of it. You know, and, and you you think about those, you know, we had the what would Jesus do bracelets. Remember when that was really yes. good? And, <laughs> um, and we had, you know, you love like Jesus, love like Jesus, love like Jesus. Uh, we have, I'm uh, a friend who, uh, when things would get hard, she would say, love like Jesus, love like Jesus, love like Jesus. And we, we would laugh about that, but it's really, you know, it's amazing how you would start to have a better attitude toward things when you did that. But really that's, that's the essence of it. If, if you can figure out how to do that, mm-hmm. then you do serve and you do lead and people are empowered and fulfilled and, uh, you make the biggest difference. It's hard. It's really, really hard. But um, I think it's loving like Jesus. And that's what allows you that, to then put others first. And, and then it's a cycle from there. I love it. It's golden. And, and, and that, again, goes back to so many things that we say. You know, I remember mama said, well, if it's so simple, why don't you just do it? <laughs> you know, as kids, well, but mine, no. Well, if, it, if you know, why don't you just do it? And I know it's like, I laugh so hard. I just wish I could see God's facial expressions at me some days. I used to tell my players, there's a big difference between simple and easy. You know, (laughs) it's very simple, but I didn't tell you it was easy. (laughs) There you go. That is, I love that one, coach. So true. I could not even say it better. I know he looked, see, okay. Now a simulation number 90, we've tried this test over and over 91. Let's get it right. But I, (laughs) I, I think it's so true, right? Just loving him. I want to get to the place, coach, where, you know, we get beyond, I tell people this, the whole goal of mine is getting beyond when I win my award, when I make an accomplishment. And that first line is what? First, I just want to thank God. First, give honor to God. You know, people get a Grammy, Oscar, first thing they up and say, I just want to thank God because without him, I wouldn't be here, right? And then that's the short end of it. But I want to get to a place just like you said, that in every walk and stride that I do, that I'm loving like him, that I'm walking like him, and I'm putting people first. And if we can do that, we will truly be on our way to normalizing and mainstreaming who he is. No question. 
I believe you're doing that, Chelsea. I believe you're doing that. Thank you so much. I I just got to thank you. I'm telling you right now, I got, as the kids would say, I got my whole life today talking <laughs> to you. It truly was a dream. Like how many people get that, right? To be able to truly just go from watching somebody on screen, viewing them as a role model. They don't even know it, but you get to now tell them and then further affirm why you thought so highly of them and just having this conversation to move this agenda forward. So I thank you so much just for being here to talk less and make us better. Um, so grateful. I just have such admiration for what you're doing. Uh, bless you and keep on pressing, girl. Get it done. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And before you go, in true fashion, we're going to say a quick prayer before we get out. So everybody just stay still, bow your heads, Heavenly Father. We want to thank you right now for what we've seen and what we've heard. We thank you so much, Lord God, just for being who you are. We ask right now, Lord God, a special prayer for Coach Sherry Cole, Lord God. Be with her, touch her, bless her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, Lord God. Be with her endeavors, Lord God, as she continues to walk, serve, Lord God. Just give her the strength that she needs. Bless her family, Lord God. Bless everything that extends from her, Lord God. Bless every servant leader and those listening at their point of need. We don't need to know what they need, but you know what they need. But most of all, Lord God, I ask that you help us to continue to be lights. Help us to illuminate so that those that may not know you can find you. And yes, in Jesus' name, we'll always pray. Amen. Amen. My favorite line of the episode, servant leader, Sherry Cole, you are now a part of the servant leader family. <laughs> what an honor. Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> Absolutely. We thank you guys for listening. And we're going to see you guys next time.